2: Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Aki Koteyama, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day on the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, iwami, nisakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Bob Florence, who is the founder of Moromi, based in Connecticut. At the Moromi, Bob produces handcrafted small batch Japanese-style fermented products, such as shoyu, miso, hot sauces, and other condiments. Bob studied how to make authentic Japanese fermented products in Japan and uniquely integrate Japanese tradition and local flavors of coastal Connecticut. So today we'll discuss how an industrial chemist became an artisanal food producer, why Japanese style fermentation is distinctively unique, how Bob learned Japanese style fermentation, different types of Japanese soy sauce and other unique products Bob makes, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Bob Flores. Hello, Bob. Welcome to the show.
3: Hello, Akiko. Thanks for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you.
2: Okay. Well, I'm very pleased that you are here. Thank you. So, uh, first of all, to get to know you, uh, where are you from, and what did you eat when you grew up?
3: Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I grew up in Syracuse, New York, and I grew up in a big family. I've got eight brothers. And um, so my mother uh, didn't really like to cook. It was interesting. She cooked sort of quantity, but maybe not quality. I hate <laughs> to say that, but <laughs> she just didn't like cooking that much. She made a few great things like lasagna and and a baked chicken and, you know, kind of standard things that you could throw out to 11 people around a dining table. But But because she didn't like to eat, um, she sort of enlisted or didn't like to cook, rather. She she enlisted me to do kind of a lot of the tasks in the kitchen. So I started out um, cooking uh, at home quite a bit. And then I put myself through school by working in a produce department in a local grocery store. And so I had access to a lot of nice produce and a lot of um, uh, fresh meat in uh, other items at the grocery store that i worked at that i could bring home after work and and cook so so yeah so um cooking became a thing because i wanted to have great food and mom was not a great cook
2: mm, well maybe she didn't have a choice for cooking for people I'm <laughs> for. Her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you are selected one out of eight children so yeah you got lucky too so, and you studied the Moromi in 2017, and uh, you have a very interesting business background before that. So Thank could you. you tell us um, what you did and where you lived?
3: Sure. Yeah, I started out as a chemist, as I said. I studied polymer chemistry in Syracuse at the um, Forestry College there, and we studied natural polymer chemistry, which is, which is the chemistry of wood, um, so trees, cellulose, lignin that type of stuff. And natural polymers um, get a lot of uh, use in industry. And so I ended up working at the R&D Center for General Electric after I graduated in Schenectady, New York, where I was developing different materials and really doing materials engineering and um, materials design. And then I uh, moved to Detroit, um, where I was working in the automotive business. And um, fortunately, we got a request from some Japanese automakers in the early 80s to come over to Japan and talk about the materials we were making. And So my boss at the time didn't want to go to Japan, and he asked me to go. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll go. And so, uh, so I hopped on a plane as a, a very young man, uh, went over to Japan, and had a wonderful time meeting with Toyota and Honda and Nissan. And a lot of the um, Japanese automotive suppliers talking about uh, materials and materials technology for cars. And so what we were trying to do is we were trying to um, build cars that were lighter weight, that had more fuel efficiency. And so at that time in history, we were replacing steel and metal with plastics in cars um, because it was lighter weight and it gave better gas mileage. And so I developed a lot of relationships, um, particularly at Toyota down in Aichi province. And um, spent a lot of my career traveling back and forth uh, from Detroit to Japan, working with automakers. And so that sort of uh, spurned a career in international business. And I ended up uh, at one point in my career moving over to China to support the development of really the whole Asia business. So I had an office in Shanghai and one in Tokyo, one in Seoul and one in Bangalore, India. So I traveled around Asia, uh, basically developing business. And eating a lot, Akiko. <laughs> mm,
2: no question. Especially Toyota in Aichi is the home of soy sauce and miso. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. right. It's not a coincidence, probably, that you got into what you're doing right now.
3: Yes, yeah, so it's a, it's a wonderful area. So I I, I was exposed um, early in my career to a lot of great uh, great food, a lot of great Japanese food, and then. Um, as I, as my career evolved, I ended up moving to China. I lived in Shanghai for five years, working for GE uh, industrially, and then GE sold my division, so I ended up working at Apple, who was one of my customers. And so I spent um, a few years working with Apple to develop their uh, Mac computer business over in China, their manufacturing operations in China. And um, as I as I worked over there, at Kiko, I was looking at really the industrialization of China, which uh, when I first started going over there, it was a lot of countryside. And when I uh, left most of my major business dealings in China, it was one big city. <laughs> it was amazing, the transformation. But as I watched that, I thought, maybe I could get into something that is more sustainable, um, because this looks like we're just like really destroying the earth and converting a lot of um, countryside into industry and... It just didn't feel right. And so I worked um, my way back into uh, renewables uh, industry in California. There was a lot of startup businesses working on renewable fuels and renewable chemicals and looking at different chemistries that were more sustainable and more environmentally friendly. And uh, one of those companies I joined called Solazyme, we used algae in industrial scale fermentation to convert sugar into oil. And so that was the basis of my connection with chemistry and fermentation was over a decade, decade ago, working at a startup company to figure out how to make renewable chemicals. And so that started my interest in fermentation. And then from there, I sort of connected the two things, which is chemistry, fermentation and food.
2: Wow. Wow. Now I see the connection because it was complete. I thought it was very uh, science-based and nothing to do with uh, natural, traditional limitations, And so now it beautifully connected the two. So, okay. And then, so you started Moromi, your own company. So it's a kind of jump, right? So why did you start your own company, Moromi?
3: Yeah. So so if you looked at the renewable chemical industry. Um, it didn't do very well um, because the uh, the price of oil went down when fracking was discovered and the tar sands up in Alberta were discovered. Um, and so oil prices came down, the renewable chemical industry sort of collapsed. And I was looking around going, well, that wasn't really that successful. Well, How do I leverage what I was doing, which is chemistry and fermentation? And I always thought the fermentation was probably more useful as a tool to making food than industrial chemicals anyway. So I kind of put one and one together to make two and said, I should start a company to make food out of fermentation. And so that really was the nexus of Maromi. And then I, I kind of cast around looking at different fermentation technologies and settled on on um, uh, making soy sauce eventually. Mm, right.
2: But it's actually you know, the food and cooking for your family. So that's, uh, it's, it's kind of like very natural consequence that you decided to. Kind create. of a full
3: circle. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. So, um, so the, you know, you lived in Asia, it could be China or Japan. Why did you choose Japanese-style condiments as a focus weight business?
3: You know, it's kind of funny. It, it's really hard to make. So that made it really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, as a fermentation technology, it's it's two stage fermentation making koji, and then the second stage making the moromi, which is the mash, um, and having that ferment over time. And so, if you look at the complexity of it, I thought it was really interesting to uh, to study. And as I got into it, it just became more and more interesting, and I started making uh, making soy sauce out of my daughter's bedroom, after she moved away to college. (laughs) I started started making a lot of soy sauce at the house and my wife was complaining that the whole house smelled like soy sauce.
2: (laughs) It's not the worst smell. (laughs) But but, uh, yeah, we will talk about the Japanese fermentation in more details later. But uh, so what is the concept of your company, Moromi?
3: So the core concept is uh, I set out to make a really flavorful soy sauce and that's that's been my goal since starting the company Is like how do i make a really flavorful craft style soy sauce and so and i i kind of draw the line between industrial soy sauce and craft soy sauce as being kind of two different things is like it i guess the analogy would be in the world of beer where you have you know large scale kind of the bud light type of thing, which is large industrial beer. And then you have a lot of craft beer companies that came up with some unique flavorful beer combinations based on the same technology, which is brewing beer, but but you get a lot more flavor and depth of flavor and a bigger flavor profile. And so that's what I was going after, number one. Number two, I was thinking the core concept of Maromi was to make really flavorful food ingredients that help Home cooks and professional cooks create something special for their families and their in their guests. And so, you know, rather than taking kind of the the commodity ingredients off the shelf, is they had they would have access to something that could help them create something just a little more special, if you will.
2: Mm, right. So I think uh, the meaning of what you just said is reflecting on the name of company moromi so what is the meaning by itself of the word moromi
3: so moromi is a japanese word for mash and so like if you were making whiskey you'd make corn mash uh, on your way to making whiskey in in japan if you were making that corn mash you'd still call it moromi so um so the overall word is mash and so i guess i named the company mash
2: <laughs> mm, right and it's the uh, source of everything delicious that's what Mm, i think absolutely right and so let's talk about what special about japanese style fermentation compared to other types of fermentation um so like how do you compare like making beer or sauerkraut or other types of fermentation
3: okay so so yeah so you mentioned a few so um let's say the soy sauce making involves um using an organism uh, known as koji generically, uh, which is a mold, whereas beer is made by using um, something called yeast. And then uh, in the case of sauerkraut, you've got another organism, which is a lactobacillus, which is a bacteria that converts um, sugars into uh, lactic acid, which is that sour taste. And so there's kind of three different organisms that are giving you three different paths to tasty food, if you will. What's unique about koji is koji injects enzymes into the soybeans. So basically this, the substrate that we're growing koji on is, is soybeans and wheat. And the koji injects these enzymes to digest their food. Um, and then they grow by, by metabolizing that food. And so they're converting the proteins which in soybeans, which are really high protein content um uh, product into amino acids and they're converting the starches in the wheat into sugar and so that combination of amino acids and sugar is what really makes that really tasty umami flavor that you get um, in a Japanese style fermentation using Koji and so that that type of fermentation so that combination of an amino and a sugar, the, the If you were to brown a steak on the stove, that browning reaction called the Maillard reaction is actually what Koji's doing in kind of slow motion, if you will. And so you've got all these aminos that are that are in the fermentation. You've got all these sugars in the fermentation and they're kind of dancing around interacting interacting with each other and creating these really complex flavor components that become that umami packed soy sauce flavor that we all know and love.
2: Mm, right. That's interesting. You said that because uh, if it's a quality, not a you know factory-made miso, but high-quality uh, miso that's still full of uh, live bacteria, if you age it for a couple of years, that mylar effect continues, so you get a darker miso, which is interesting. So oh
3: yes, it gets it gets darker. In fact, I in fact, Akiko, I've made some what's called. Light yellow miso, which is kind of an in between the sweet white miso and a red, dark savory miso, and they they the ferments start out light and yellow, but they end up in a year they're like really dark brown. <laughs> to your mm. point, right. And so, delicious,
2: holy. right. And then the umami <laughs> maybe increases over time. Is that? I think so. Is, yeah. Right. Okay. So um, we'll discuss your products in a moment. But uh, how did you learn? how to make
3: Japanese artisanal fermented products. So um, so one of the areas that um, I started just by reading, so it was, it was looking around, and of course we all have access to the internet and you can just Google away to your heart's content to find industry papers on soy sauce making. Um, then there are the people that are selling uh, Koji spores. So um, people like Gem Cultures, Um, have a a really nice little pamphlet that for anyone interested in getting started and making koji at home or making miso or soy sauce at home, they have an interesting little pamphlet that comes along with the uh, koji cultures that they sell that can instruct you on how to make a really simple soy sauce. And I'd recommend that. And then there there are great books um, uh, by Akiko Oyagi, William Shurtleff, who started off with, miso tofu but also touch on soy sauce it's kind of a one of the standard texts in english that you could get access to japanese ferments on and then uh, you know as a as a uh, former practicing chemist uh, industrial papers are maybe a little deep but they're really interesting too so i used a lot of those so that was number one is just reading and number two is just making and then learn by doing so making things and making mistakes and throwing things in the garden that didn't work. And, <laughs> and then make, making more and then asking a lot of questions of anyone that, that'll that'll talk to you.
2: Right. And also you um, you learned, you went to um, Chiba Shoyu in Chiba Prefecture, which is kind of a big home of soy sauce making as well. So how did you get that kind of internship?
3: Oh, yeah. So interesting story is that when I was studying this, so I had made some soy sauce and I I thought it was pretty tasty. Um, And uh, I wrote to 15 CEOs at different soy sauce manufacturers in Japan. And I purposely, I picked kind of the medium to small soy sauce makers. So I wrote emails to each of those CEOs. And uh, so 15 of them. And of the 15, three of them got back to me and uh, agreed to meet with me on my trip to Japan. And so I brought a little kit of bottles of my soy sauce over to Japan, and I sat down with um, a few people at different soy sauce makers, and Chiba Shoyu being the one that really took me under their wing, Akiko, uh, Edison, the CEO of, of Chiba Shoyu, has been just so kind and generous with his with his time, and uh, spent a lot of time with me um, answering probably questions that were really really simple and silly. But um, we we spent a lot of time together just talking about um, things like, well, how much how much salt do you use, <laughs> 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 and then how do you measure how much salt in there, and uh, how do you measure things like protein or nitrogen content and a lot a lot of it was um tasting different things too so we spent a lot of time tasting my soy sauce and comparing it to their standard soy sauce which is a beautiful beautiful you. and um and they gave me very honest feedback on what i was what i was doing and how i might improve and i think Edison was really quite intrigued by why is this American guy making soy sauce. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, "Why are you doing this?"
1: <laughs>
2: mm. right. I'm sure he was very impressed. And I looked up at Chiba That's uh, the company started in 1854, almost yes. 107 years ago. It's not a joke. It's a very serious established company. So they. You know, they welcome you open arms. That's, you must have done something right <laughs> when you're you you. them. Well, you know what?
3: what, what with Edison what, what was interesting is he even advertises on his website that he custom manufactures soy sauce blends for his customers. So a lot of his customers are restaurants. And so, you know, if you go to like a, a large ramen house or ramen chain in Japan or New York City, um, there's a good chance that Chiba Shoyu is manufacturing the base sauce that goes into that ramen. Hmm, so, he's, so he's a creator um, based on collaborating with his customers. And so I felt he was just very open to a conversation and and learning what I was doing and also sharing what he was doing with very enthous- very much enthusiasm. Hey, it's
2: almost a chili of the whole Um, soy sauce industry in a way because you educate and uh, expanding the pie so that's smart so and do you have any funny experience with them or it's just uh, did you actually work in the floor of the factory or
3: well I I um... I've, I've walked in the floor. I haven't worked in the factory, but uh, more more or less meeting in the factory and talking in the factory and and going through the factory and touring what was going on. I think the most interesting thing is on one of my trips over there, um, Edison san uh, brought me over. He was kind of like, I have something that I'd like to show you. And... Uh, I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's go see. And then I, we went into one of the areas of the factory and he shows me a, a very large Coleman cooler and says, well, I want to give this to you. And I'm like, well, that's kind of strange that he want to <laughs> give, give me a cooler, uh, but okay, I'll be gracious. And then he, he opens it up and he explains to me, he goes, this is, this is not, not really a cooler. It's a it's a rice koji maker. I was going to make rice wine, but I decided a rice vinegar, and I decided not to. But I bought this rice uh, koji maker, and I want to I want to give it to you if you'd like it. And that's the generosity that I was talking about. How much he shared uh, with me in terms of the technology. So. <laughs> Um, I was fortunate enough, he's, he sent it over to me. I use it to make rice koji for my miso. Um, it's It was manufactured by a company called Ikeda. There's probably a 100 Ikeda companies, and I don't have the full name in front of me, Akiko. But um, they make um, industrial, commercial rice koji uh, machines, and they also make some home machines as well. And this is sort of an intermediate uh, product. But I thought it was just... One so kind and generous, and two is just—it was just sort of took me aback that I, I was being gifted a cooler. <laughs> mm, <laughs> but it's nice. actually a computer-controlled cooler. It's got a, a programmable logic controller on it that controls the temperature and the humidity and the timing of the rice koji life cycle over mm. a couple-day period. So it's. It's a very sophisticated cooler, if you will.
2: <laughs> mm, oh, wow. That's very valuable. I mean, the koji maker, is it's, it's been a boom to create Shio Koji and Samazaki. All those you know koji-based fermentation products of, has been really uh, popular. So, wow. Okay, so uh, we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll discuss uh, Bob's unique and delicious artisanal products. So please stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs.
2: I'm your host, Takikotema, and my guest today is Bob Florence, who is the founder of Moromi, based in Connecticut. At Moromi, Bob produces handcrafted, small-bat, Japanese-style fermented products, such as shoyu, miso, hot sauces, and other condiments. So uh, let's talk about your products. So, how many and what kinds of products do you make?
3: Okay, I actually had to count them all when you when when you asked me this question. I was uh, I was thinking, how many do I have? And um, <laughs> it turns turns out, Akiko, I've got um, ten different products. Which is probably more than I wanted <laughs> initially. I was just going to make soy sauce, but it seems to be growing, which is a good problem to have. So I make the main thing I make is shoyu, uh, which is soy sauce, and we call it shoyu, um, really because I think it just reflects I think the craft aspect of the product, and that's really what I wanted to emphasize is not really being a commodity, generic soy sauce, and so I wanted to to. You uh, show you as a means of of really highlighting the craft nature of the product, and so we make soy sauce, and then I make what's called rye soy sauce. Um, so soy sauce is really based on wheat. Uh, if you substitute the wheat with rye, um, you can make a soy sauce based on rye, and it's really f- super flavorful. And I, what I found is that chefs, in particular, seem to really like the rye soy sauce over, say, traditional. Koikuchi-style uh, soy sauce, which is wheat in, in soybeans. And then uh, when I was tasting the Moromi over in Japan with iida and uh, over at Ogura, I'll show you also in Chiba, is we were tasting moromi um, at different stages in aging. And I was asking them, I said, why don't you just sell the moromi? Why do we press it? It's This is delicious. And they're like, well, we don't do that um so that you know it's pressed and processed and and pasteurized and and that type of thing um so we ended up actually making something we call chili maromi here which is my partner James Wayman is a is a chef and he was asking why don't we just throw some of the cayenne peppers into the soy sauce maromi and, and see if we can co ferment them and I, i'm sure this has been done thousands of years ago um in japan as well as in china but we, we took our homegrown local cayenne peppers and did a co-ferment we call chili Moromi, and it's it's actually really delicious. and so that's one of our, our main products now. Um, we also make fermented cayenne hot sauce, which is a, really a straight uh, lacto type ferment, uh, not involving Koji, but it's a straight cayenne pepper fermentation to make a hot sauce. Uh, We like, we like cayennes because they're not overly hot. And so it doesn't like ruin your meal by burning your tongue out, uh, before you get to taste your food It sort of accent your, your, your meal. So I like that aspect of it. And then we Mm -hmm. have a, a wonderful, um, sugar kelp farmer here in Connecticut, off the coast of Stonington, Connecticut. Um, and she, she grows sugar kelp and harvest it, um, Gee, in a couple weeks now, Akiko, we're gonna be coming into the 2022 harvest. And so I um, take some of that harvest and I also make a soy sauce that's co-fermented with sugar kelp. And it, it's amazing depth of flavor. It just adds all that umami that you already had in soy sauce and then doubles down on it with the sugar kelp. Um, and I love it because it's, it's all locally grown and I'm supporting another local small business person like myself. Um, and then we have um, in the works some wild mushroom soy sauce that's fermented with um, locally foraged mushrooms. Again, my partner James Wayman is uh, a mushroom enthusiast and forages for things like chanterelles and maitake, which we uh, incorporated into a few ferments that'll be available later this year. Um, mm. So that's really delicious. I tasted moromi a lot. And I'm like, well, that's coming along quite nicely.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I have to say I uh, tried some of your products and I was very impressed, not just because I'm interviewing you right now on the show, but I was really impressed. Like, for example, that rye soy sauce. And in Japan, we don't grow rye. But, uh, by the way, in you know, the wheat came to Japan, I mean, became grown more widely in the period. So up until then, there are not much uh, soy sauce available. And that's when, um, you know, people started to eat more. just food, including sushi, because you need a soy sauce to eat sushi. And so that really a life changer uh, for them. But uh, so basically the rice, show you that's you replace wheat with rye? Completely? Wow. Yeah, it's kind of like a a nuttier, deeper. I, I'm
3: so addicted to it now so oh nice that's good <laughs> I'm, I'm making more I'm I'm out, I'm out of it momentarily but I am fermenting more uh, interesting story is that rye stoy sauce was actually a mistake um, we bought local wheat and um, so I was going over to uh, to grab a bag of the wheat from the storage area and I grabbed a bag of rye by mistake and I was making the soy sauce and I'm like this wheat is really weird it must be just because it's the local variety <laughs> <laughs> I didn't learn until after I had the maromi already made that it was rye and I was like oh well I guess we're gonna make rye soy sauce and it, it turned out to be a really happy mistake if you will so it was, yeah it was one of
2: those uh, historic uh, big mishaps that really created <laughs> something amazing
1: <laughs> I'd, li- I'd like
3: to say we thought about it beforehand but we didn't right um, <laughs> I- and then we make, make a couple of miso, shiro miso and a red miso and some tamari that comes out of that uh, shiro miso. I, I get a very, very teeny bit, but we um, harvest that and then I bottle and sell that as well, which is an amazing little treat um, to have the tamari. The, the shiro miso came out of my experience in um, traveling around Kyoto, which is you know, famous for the, the sweet white, white miso. And um, so I set off to try and make something that was similar to that. I could never make anything nearly as nice as what's made in Kyoto, but, but I, I try. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's an attempt, and I think people have enjoyed it. And quite frankly, I'm surprised how many people buy it. I thought, I thought I'll, I'll make some, but I don't think anyone's going to want white miso. But boy, mm. people buy it. It's amazing.
2: Interesting. Yeah. So, um, well, basically, uh, Kyoto cuisine, uh, which has been uh, developed for nobles, uh, they tend to have colorful, beautiful um, dishes. And if you put too much of dark color, soy sauce or miso, you can't see the colors of the ingredients. So they tend to have um, lighter colored um, condiments such as uh, white soy sauce or right. white miso. And, uh, and for listeners who are not familiar with this, there are a t- bunch of different types of soy sauce. And I think you will show you soy sauce and why they are koikuchi type?
3: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Okay. So koikuchi is just basically 80% of our whole soy sauce. But um, that's the foundational type. And then usukuchi is uh, um, a little saltier but lighter color. And by short of fermentation, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's served for you know like the Kyoto style cuisine. And the tamari you said it made out of miso, which is interesting, right? Because if you age the miso ball, there's some liquid seeping mm-hmm. out of it, and that's what you make into um right. thick soy sauce with lots of umami. And um, I mean, if you go to sushi bar, some chefs prefer serving tamari for certain fish and the regular koikchi for certain fish. So, yeah, so it's not just um, one type. And there's a shoyu to saishikomishoyu. There's like a bunch of different, the whole... You know, like Pandora's box is so Oh, <laughs> it's a whole
3: universe. Yes. Right. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, you have so much to keep producing and discovering. Um, yeah. And I really like the idea of, I didn't know that Connecticut can provide such great kelp for your soy sauce.
3: Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a really nice location. Um, I think uh, living on the coast um, in we're right on the Long Island Sound, so it's it's never really too cold here, and you know it's 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 a good moderate temperature year round. Um, of course, we get winter and we get a little bit of snow, but nothing like Syracuse, New York, or Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, but but I think that that the temperature and the the weather in the region contribute to the overall. Flavor of the food that we're producing, as well as you know, the ability to access a great ingredient like sugar kelp.
2: Mm, right. So, and you know, we've been talking about how koji can uh, increase umami because enzyme um, enzymes that koji generates increases uh, amino acid, I think, in the food. So, and then umami of koji can be multiplied by the the umami in kelp. So different types of uh, umami, and they multiply, not just by adding. So it's really like effective way to increase umami. And uh, yeah, I hope to taste your sugar kelp soy sauce too. And I have to say, Mm -hmm. yeah, the cayenne hot sauce, when I tasted it, you know, it's like a flash of spiciness. And then Mm -hmm. it's almost like a wasabi it very quickly disappears that punch in your nose at the same kind of speed. But then uh, I think the acidity is much more rounded mm. and uh, there's some sweetness too. So what kind of vinegar do you use? Is like a rice vinegar?
3: It's a white vinegar, yes, yeah. But mm. I think the, the, the combination of the vinegar and the cayennes, the like I said, the heat, level in cayenne peppers is not very high so um, I know a lot of people that make hot sauce like to make like the hottest thing on earth Um, but then you can't taste your food so the the objective that we have as a company is to is to enhance people's food and to help them you know as an ingredient you you want the ingredient to accentuate your food not to bury it so so that was the objective with the cayenne I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the
2: yeah it's like a femoral like you have to chase it oh it's gone and you keep going back to that taste and yeah it's kind of addictive product i have to say (laughs) right so um so you use a lot of local ingredients so and fermented foods reflect the terroir of the area and they're produced so how do you uh your products represent the terroir of connecticut
3: yeah i think i think that's a It's a very interesting question because I think given that this is a two stage fermentation, one is the the Koji ferment the Koji growing. I use Koji spores that I obtained from Japan um, through sources that I've developed there, actually with the help of Chiba show you. so we have some real access to some really nice koji spores that are very good at creating amino acids from soy sauce or soybean protein and so and so that's kind of the one stage but the second stage which is putting the koji into the brine that brine is a is a natural fermentation so there's naturally occurring yeasts and bacteria that are in the atmosphere here in Connecticut and southeast Connecticut will naturally populate that ferment and then so I'm I'm growing uh soy sauce based on what is the naturally occurring biome in Southeast Connecticut. So I think Akiko, if I did exactly the same thing that I'm doing here in Connecticut, and I move this to Michigan or San Francisco or LA, I think I'd make a slightly different soy sauce in each of those regions because of the, the way we're doing the ferment as a natural secondary fermentation. Mm, right.
2: Well, that's the beauty of... The artisanal fermented products. I think I, yeah, I, I actually heard of one. Um, actually visited one um soy sauce maker, and I went to the uh, factory like very, very, like centuries old, and the wall is full of kind of mold and a dark oh, yeah. color, and <laughs> they can't move, even if they can move to a new facility or something, because the whole taste is gonna change. So they will stay there forever, because there's no choice.
3: It would change, yes. You know, it's kind of like, you've probably heard examples of people taking sourdough from San Francisco and bringing the sourdough mother to New York and trying to make the same loaf of bread. And it's It's different because that sourdough will then convert into what the natural Terroir, as in in New York, for example, so the the bread will actually turn out different. So I think that's the same thing that's going to happen with regard to the, the secondary fermentation with with soy sauce. Mm. Right, they're
2: going to be more aggressive in New York. <laughs>
3: yeah, they might be. They might be equally delicious, though.
2: <laughs> just, that's they,
3: true. just, just different. Just but, different. Yes, <laughs>
2: some punch. Yeah, that's
3: true. You um, get aggressive sourdough in New York, do you?
2: <laughs> kind of. We have to move
3: fast. <laughs> Is that the um, bread or the people?
2: <laughs> I I think both ways. I'm doing probably they ferment faster in New York. <laughs> um, all right. So um, sounds like you have a lot uh, going on your place, but what's the biggest challenge in making your unique products?
3: Um, you know, it's, um, interestingly, it's a challenge that I didn't think I'd have, which is packaging. So once you make soy sauce, you have to put it in something. And, um, then think, you know, one, one of the things I was trying to do is, is be more sustainable and more environmentally friendly in terms of the types of products I'm making and what I'm doing, and, and packaging becomes a key consideration in that. Into how do you, what do you put your soy sauce into, and how do you obtain packaging, and um, how do you develop those supply chains? So that's been one of the more unique challenges that I've had to develop the supply chain for um, having a nice package that you know protects the product, keeps it fresh. And all the things that you want to package to do, but it's it's something that I never really thought I needed to worry about until I did this.
2: <laughs> mm, right, but I have to say, I'm looking at your label. That's really nicely designed. What does it represent on your label?
3: Thank you. So it represents well. It's it's kind of a stylized sunshine and wheat, and so it's um it's kind of how the sun powers everything that we're doing um here from plants all the way through everything we eat mm, right
2: wow so did you do that by yourself or You hired someone no to i did
3: not i had a, a actually a local artist um, named sean spellman did that logo for us
2: right so it's all yeah. local including oh logo. yes
3: including right. including the artwork yes right
2: so and
3: What's the most rewarding part of making your products? The most rewarding part? Um, you know, I think I think seeing, so uh, I grew a lot of the business so far on Instagram, as a, a lot of us do these days. See? And it's really fun to see all of the people who buy my products make different um, dishes out of it. So it's like, so I think that's been the most rewarding is just see people play with it and put it up on Instagram and say, Hey, I made this out of Moromi you, And that's been a lot of fun. I think an unexpected pleasure to the whole thing. I,
2: th- <laughs>
3: I, I thought the most rewarding thing for me is just making stuff because I, I like making things, <laughs>
2: right. but, but
3: seeing how everyone's using it has really been a lot of fun.
2: Hmm. hi right. and by the way, who are your customers, and uh, what they say about your products, in terms, of tastes?
3: So I've had. Um, so I, I had. Uh, I have three different major customer cl- um, classifications, if you will, for lack of a better word. Um, so people who buy online. Um, so. Um, about half of my business is online. So if you go to maromishouyou.com, you can go to our store and you can order any of our products there. Um, and so online sales has been a big thing. And a lot of that, again, is driven by Instagram and word of mouth. So it's people on Instagram that have bought it and then they say something or post a picture of a meal that they made. And then somebody else comes in and said, Hey, I want to try that. So that's been that's been a lot of fun. So I think how people are reacting is they're making things and they're they're kind of talking about it and having a conversation about it on, on online. So that's been a lot of fun. And then um, a lot of chefs um, we've been interacting with. Um, and again, my partner James Wayman is very well connected in the in the chef community and professional chefs. So we have a lot of product in professional kitchens where chefs are you know, creating new ideas and new meals and using different products. And I think, again, having a, a craft type of soy sauce is just, it's another tool for them to be creative in the kitchen. So, so that's been fun. And then third, Akiko, is um, specialty retailers. So um, I'm not trying to take over the large scale retail sector, but specialty retailers have, Really been huge fans of having a, a product like uh, Moromi Show You on the shops, and it, it's something for them to have a conversation with their customers about um, you know a small scale craft handmade soy sauce. It it, it makes for an interesting conversation and engagement with especially retailers. So so that's been a huge part of our business. Um, as far as reactions, like you mentioned, addicted. I've had so many people say that they're addicted. <laughs> To different things, I think I'm going to have to start a rehab um, program, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs>
2: maybe not. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, but make it but worse. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. So, so you are you are one of several people this week who's told me they're addicted to um, one one of the one of the products. So that's one of the reactions. So,
2: mm. well, the other thing I have to say that you don't need too much because one drop of soy soy sauce or do your cayenne it lasts in your mouth so long that it's not diluted. You know, you don't want to overuse it in one sitting. So it's kind of a value for money too. And also you feel good. So it's not something like, I had too much soy sauce. I had too much salt. There's nothing to do with it. It's like very nourishing. You feel like your body likes it too. So yeah, that's a... Yeah, that's a very, very um, kind of satisfying product that you make.
3: Thank you. Well, when I was when I was thinking about making this, so soy sauce, industrial soy sauce, is largely made from soy grits, and so soy grits are what's left over after you squeeze the oil, the vegetable oil, out of soybeans. And so one of the things that we do differently is I'm making soy sauce from whole soybeans, so you get all the lipids that are in the soybean go into the ferment. And those lipids create a lot of different flavor components that aren't necessarily included in large commodity soy sauce brands. And so that's a big difference between a craft soy sauce and and a commodity soy sauce. And I think what what that does, um, how I describe it musically, um, is that if you think of flavor as music, a, an industrial soy sauce is like, has one note to it, whereas a craft soy sauce has, is more like a chord. So you get sort of a whole harmonious chord of flavor, if you will.
2: Mm, right. And you have to manage the sounds very well by hand. So yes. <laughs> that yeah. must be fun. Right. So, um, and have you um, asked uh, someone that Shiva show you to taste your forex?
3: Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, I send bottles. In fact, I sent some bottles today of my latest creations over to Chiba you for sample tasting. Um, so we, we actually, um, it goes both ways. They've been sending me some of their product development as well to taste. So um, So yeah, so I send products over
2: there all the time. Mm, nice. Well, probably, I think Japan's uh, restriction for COVID is kind of loosened, loosening up, so maybe they can come over and uh, visit you.
3: Well, yeah. I, one of the things that Edison wants to do is he wants to send some of his younger engineers over here to um, make soy sauce with me. And the reason that he wants to do that is because um, what I'm doing here is I make soy sauce from the beginning to the end. So from roasting soybeans to steaming, the, or roasting wheat to steaming the soybeans, to making the koji, to making the moromi, to all the way through to bottling. And so a lot of his engineers in the, you know, cause it's a larger factory they they do maybe one of those tasks and focus on one area. And so he thought it would be interesting to have someone come over and just be able to walk through the entire process. As, as part of a learning process, and one of the things Yutason said to me is that, um, that I'm making soy sauce like his great grandfather used to make it, which is basically doing everything by one person. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so so I thought so I thought so. Once the COVID restrictions end, we're looking forward to um, hosting some engineers from Chiba Shoyu. you, and actually, my wife Debbie and I are interested in heading back over to Japan as well. Um, and my wife's um, Japanese American, as you might know, and uh, uh, one of my partners as well in this business.
2: Mm, right. So probably it sounds like there's a reason uh, for you to find Chiba Shoyu because they need you and you need him. It's kind of like a mutual like collaboration.
3: Yes. Yeah, so yeah, we do. We do enjoy each other's uh, company, and and again, I think part of the relationship is that. Um, in Japan, the, the Koji, or rather the soy sauce manufacturing specifications are, are pretty restrictive. And so in order to have soy sauce be in a certain classification in Japan, you have to follow pretty strict guidelines. whereas here in America, I don't. And so a little bit of um, the joy of working together is just can kind of live a little bit vicariously through me to do some things that aren't necessarily straight, forward um soy sauce standard soy sauce making in japan like throwing sugar kelp in or making soy sauce out of rye or throwing some cayenne peppers in those types of things are they're they're, they're interesting to have a conversation about and also spur some creativity on his part because his guys are now playing around with a lot of different things as well so it's been a fun real fun collaboration Mm, great friendship yeah
2: yeah it, i think uh, culturally and Japan and the u s are very opposite in the way, but uh full of tradition that could be really binding, but this country is country with freedom about everything so yeah it's it's inspiring to see and uh, that's new and tradition um kind of helping each other, so alright so uh where can we find your updates online um On
3: social media oh yeah so uh a few places so we're on social media on instagram so at moromi show you we have we post different things some recipes we post kind of what's going on here at the workshop Um, my page on social media bob.florence on instagram i post uh, some reels and some videos of me making soy sauce and people visiting and that type of thing. And then, of course, our website, Um We have all the you know, the store is constantly changing. So some products are a little more seasonal than others. So we may update the website with availability like sugar kelp I just put online last week. Um, and then rye soy sauce we sold out of, but we have more fermentation coming that'll be bottled up in a few months and so we'll bring the rye back and then we have so all those updates will be carried online. And then uh, if there's any press or anything like that we put we have a press page so any updates will go on there. And then um, James and I are also working on a, a recipe page so you know how, how to use uh, our products in different uh, in different recipes and that'll be growing we're we're working on that uh, little by little and adding to the adding to the recipe pages as we go along here.
2: Mm, right. So just my last and big question. So what are your plans and dreams?
3: So um I'm really focused on making the best soy sauce possible in here. So in that for me it just means continuing to make soy sauce the same way so i'm trying to um just make soy sauce and every time i make a batch a kiko I, I i learn something and then it allows me to ask more questions around why certain things are happening and you wouldn't have been able to answer ask those questions had you not had the experience of going through and making batch after batch after batch and just watching what's going on so um, I just want to continue to improve my skill in making soy sauce and then second to that I think if I continue to make really good soy sauce I'm not really worried about selling as much um, hopefully if it's really good people will be interested in buying it and um, I've been in sales most of my career I'm not really interested in like running out and in, in pounding on doors to sell things, but I am interested in, focused on making the best soy sauce that I can. And so that's really my dream.
2: Mm, right. Okay. So good luck. And uh, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us today, Bob.
3: Well, thanks so much for having me. is a lot of fun. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me today. Thanks, Akiko. Yes.
2: Yeah. Hopefully uh, you'll be back and uh, give us an update sometime in the future.
3: I'd love that. Thank you very much for the invitation.
2: <laughs> okay. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at chupanits at heritageradionetwork.org or at Japan is a weekly program and always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. Engineer is Amin Spenjan, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Fun is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization, driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.